0: We, people think of insomnia as a sleep disorder, but I often tend to think of it as an anxiety disorder focused on sleep. Mm. Because oftentimes people say, I'm lying in bed and I'm trying to fall asleep. But all I can think about is, oh my gosh, the longer I'm awake, I'm building up amyloid plaques and then I'm going to be more predisposed to heart disease, a stroke, dementia, all these things I've read. Oh my gosh, if I'm not sleeping, you know, X, Y, Z amount on average, I, all these health things. and And so- I, you know, then they just start worrying about all those things, which in turn doesn't actually help. Right. Or sometimes people will say, oh, my gosh, yeah, I, it's, it's already you know, two o'clock and I'm going to I need to get up at six. I'm only going to get four hours of sleep at the most. And so tomorrow I have a big presentation and I'm going to not be sharp or people are going to see the bags under my eyes. And it's, it becomes more of a social anxiety or I'm going to say something stupid at work and embarrass myself. Uh, or sometimes like, I am I gonna crash my car because I'm so fatigued mm-hmm. and then worry about all these things, which, you know, again, aren't helpful in and of themselves to worry about, but are very natural things that people wrestle with.
1: Welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I am your host, Robin Tomanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Martin Shaw. He is a psychologist in the state of California. He is a therapist, supervisor, and executive director of the Cognitive Behavior Therapy Center of Southern California, CBT SoCal, specializing in the treatment of OCD, anxiety disorders, and insomnia. Hi, Martin. Hi, Robin. Hi, thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Glad we could uh, carve out the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And so um, today we're going to talk about insomnia and I have a lot, a lot of questions. So I figure we'll just kind of dive right in here. Um, for the listeners, could you kind of explain and describe what insomnia like actually kind of looks like or what maybe somebody would look out for to to think about like, okay, is this insomnia or like maybe something else?
0: Yeah, sure. Oops. I mean, uh, in some ways, I think if someone suffering from insomnia, they're going to kind of know it whether or not they call it that or not. But I mean, uh, I'll break it down a little bit further is that some people will have difficulty falling asleep or what we say initiating sleep. And for others, it's more, not so much an issue initiating sleep, but more maintaining sleep. Where it's like, I don't have a problem. I can fall asleep generally within a few minutes when I get in bed, but then I'll wake up after two or three hours and then I have difficulty getting back to sleep in the middle of the night. So we call that sleep maintenance. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it's one or the other more. And for some people, it's both at different times. And um, that can be obviously really, really frustrating because, you know, uh, everybody knows that sleep is important. Everybody knows they probably feel better after, you know, getting a certain amount uh, or quality of sleep. And when they feel like, hey, you know, I'm I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to do this very basic, you know, biological function that, you know, newborns are able to do all day. And why can't I as a, you know, grown adult or whatever, do this thing that maybe I, I was able to do fine before. And now this very basic thing is is, you know, I, I've lost my sense of mastery over it and then I'm tired and I'm frustrated about it and um, that, yeah. that obviously can be a source of, dist- it's sort of a double sense of distress, both the loss of sort of agency over it as well as the actual, you know, you know, biological fallout uh, of of inadequate sleep and the, the restoration that that does for our brain and our body.
1: Yeah, it sounds super frustrating, Yeah, know. And so... Yeah. What happens? Is it like usually at some point, like someone will know, it, like experiencing it, or is it like there had been some history, maybe like of it, or kind of how does it kind of typically come about? Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there, uh, we really see a range in, in our practice. Some people will say, you know, this sleep has been just a challenge for me as long as I can remember, since I was a kid, or for twenty years or something. And there's other people who will sort of say, I'm not sure what happened. Sleep has never been an issue. And then all of a sudden I just, you know, I was stressed out on a given night or I was thinking about something. And then now I'm just kind of stuck in this pattern of, you know, being anxious before I fall asleep or as soon as I lie in bed. And then I I, trying to sleep and I just, I'm so desperate to get to sleep. And, and in some ways, the harder I try uh the you know the more elusive it becomes and then I just kind of can't shut my brain down. So it, you know, it it there's no one profile. Um for for some people it's sort of episodic where, you know, on and off, ah, sleep will be fine for several years. I didn't really think about it. And then for several months it'll kind of come back where I'm just I don't know what's going on. And that feels frustrating too because like I don't know when, when this is gonna happen. And then it kind of it gets better again for whatever reason or we maybe we do some work and and uh things improve and then it'll pop back up months or years later. So it's, um, yeah, it just, it it can look different, many different ways.
1: That is so interesting, especially what you said about it being episodic, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are periods where it'll be fine and then it'll come back. Is it like there have been attempts, like maybe somebody's making attempts to like somehow try to fix it? or resolve it or is it just it's literally episodic where they'll just have the period where like, nah, actually I'm going to sleep better now maintaining my sleep. And then now it's back to where like I'm having trouble. hmm
0: Yeah. I mean, I, again it, it's sometimes it's hard to say. They can't really identify like what mm-hmm. what may have set it off, what may be contributing to it. But I think what I would say is that pretty much by the time anyone contacts us, you know, they they have been trying different mm-hmm. things in some ways to try to address the sleep issue. And that often may look like um, trying to go to bed earlier, spending more time in bed. Um, uh, And and that doesn't necessarily mean they're more successful at initiating sleep, it just means they're spending more time in bed. Um, Sometimes it may be sleep aids, right? Um, Taking prescribed medication, over-the-counter medication, Um, cannabis related products sleep aids all sorts of things Um, uh, we've had people who say you know I'm just I try to just double down on my exercise regimen so I just wear myself out and then maybe that will help me get to sleep Uh, other people say I just research copiously online for sleep tips and I've done everything I've Blackout curtains and I have a relaxing routine and scented candles and a warm bath and, um, you know, warm, you know, cool down before I go to bed and all that I'm doing it, I'm doing all the right things. Um, white noise maker or something like that. And I still, it's still not, not cutting it for me. So uh, these are common things that we hear that people have already sort of tried or, or are doing by the time they've uh, gotten to us.
1: Yeah, so. That exercise one too. I've heard that before. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to like make themselves tired and it's just Mm -hmm. not, it's not something that's been helping with it. So of course this is, you know, distressing, you know, difficult on like multiple, you know, different levels. And so what are the, maybe the common like problems, you know, to this, to insomnia? In
0: in terms of uh, just like, emotionally how that affects people or yeah, um,
1: emotionally life, like kind of the effects of it.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, you and I are sort of discussing this briefly is, is that, you know, you know, commonly people, you know, seeking services, mental health services in any form or fashion, there may be some form of anxiety or some form of depression or both. Mm -hmm. Uh, They often sort of go hand in hand. And for insomnia, that very much can be the case as well, where uh, people dealing with anxiety Ruminating thoughts, right? Um, that can really get fixated on whether I'm going to sleep or not, uh, how much, what time am I going to fall asleep? If I don't, what happens the next day? Am I going to do something reckless? So that anxiety uh, oh. can build up around the insomnia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll come back to that in a second. And then, you know, depression as well too, where people's like, oh, I just feel so hopeless about the fact that I can't do this, this thing I'm supposed to be doing every day. and know I need to be doing every day on top of the fact that I'm sleep deprived. And so that can really impact one's mood Mm -hmm. Um, just to take each of those. So, you know, anxiety and depression and, or I should say anxiety and, or depression uh, very frequent, um, you know, sort of cousins or co-occurring phenomena with insomnia. Um, Oftentimes, you know, the, we people think of insomnia as a sleep disorder, but I often tend to think of it as an anxiety disorder focused on sleep. Mm. Because oftentimes people say I'm lying in bed and I'm trying to fall asleep. But all I can think about is, Oh my gosh, the longer I'm awake, I'm building up amyloid plaques. And then I'm going to be more predisposed to heart disease, a stroke, dementia, all these things I've read. Oh my gosh, if I'm not sleeping, you know, X, Y, Z amount on average, I, all these health things. And and so I, you know, then they just start worrying about all those things, which in turn doesn't actually help. Right. Or sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, yeah, I, it's, it's already, you know, two o'clock and I'm going to, I need to get up at six. I'm only going to get four hours of sleep at the most. And so tomorrow I have a big presentation and I'm going to not be sharp or people are going to see the bags under my eyes. And it so it becomes more of a social anxiety, or I'm going to say something stupid at work and embarrass myself. Uh, or sometimes, like, I, am I going to crash my car because I'm so fatigued, mm-hmm. and then worrying about all these things, which you know, again, aren't helpful in and of themselves to worry about, but are very natural things that people wrestle with.
1: Yeah. Uh, so
0: those are kind of the some of the more common thought themes that come up around uh, the sort of secondary or wrapped up with the sleep.
1: Yeah, um, and I would yeah. think too that's um like with the mind, you know, thinking all those all the worries, you know, too that would like. <laughs> almost influence a way like even staying up, you know, like being awake, having like all that on your mind and worrying about it will make it very, very hard to, you know, rest, you know, yes. and relax. Right.
0: right. Yeah. Well, and that is sort of the the trap of insomnia. I would I might say is that sometimes people say, oh, that's such difficulty sleeping. Um, and so, you know, I'm just going to get in bed and and early, I'm gonna get in bed at eight o'clock even though I don't typically get in bed until 1030. And maybe that'll just give myself more opportunity to sleep. But then what, what can happen is, okay, um, I'm increasing the amount of time I'm in bed, but then I'm in bed worrying, tossing and turning, frustrated, anxious. And then what happens physiologically is our body is kind of secreting all our stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol. And then the more we do that as a as a as a habit, our brain starts to say, okay, okay, we're in bed. Uh, this, this day, next day, and then in succession. Hold on, wait, is bed, is this the place where we relax and sleep? Or is this a place where we toss and turn and have all these stress hormones? And it, it has a mixed association. And so that's why it becomes a real trap because it seems intuitive, like I'm not sleeping enough. So let me spend more time in bed. But actually what we what we want to do from a CBT for insomnia approach is actually at least temporarily limit the time in bed and restrict it mm-hmm. so that we're really only in bed when we're asleep or for a certain period before we're hopefully about to fall asleep. And if we're not, after sometimes we tell people this, is it give it maybe 10, 15 minutes or or even less. If you're like, you know what, I lie down and I'm just I'm wide awake. I'm totally just you know brain is aroused get back up get back up until you feel sleepy again or maybe after 25 30 minutes then get back in bed and if and and maybe the second time around uh, where where you're able to initiate sleep great um yeah. but again if you find the same thing like if 25 minutes or i thought i was sleepy i get back in bed and i know nope, i'm just it's not happening get back up rinse and repeat and that's a hard thing for people to hear because they're like, "Oh my gosh!" But then, then, then they, what if that goes on all night? You mm-hmm. know. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, we sort of tell people that's temporary. That's what we want to do to break the cycle of just of that mixed association of being in bed.
1: That's so interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you because I think some people may think of the opposite, like what you said, all oh, just stand bed. So then to say actually no, I'm like wait, wouldn't this <laughs> um, right, right. So since we just started discussing it, you know, I was going to ask too, like, could you explain um, for the listeners CBT for insomnia, like kind of what that is, like maybe what they could expect. I always say like, if they were to do it, what would they be experiencing like with that treatment?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, and I think maybe we should start by saying what is CBT cognitive behavior therapy mm-hmm. just in case for people aren't familiar. And, you know, I mean, I think sort of more general talk therapy or or psychodynamic therapy, you know, historically is a little bit more open ended, a little bit more organic and more sort of supportive and um, um, less directed. I, I would say, cognitive behavior therapy is you know based on principles of cognition, our thoughts and behaviors, our habits, what we do, and in general um, is a little bit more hands on, a little bit more directive, a little bit more tangible. We're more likely to kind of focus on the here and now and how do we help people understand what they're dealing with their ocd their anxiety their depression their insomnia and what are specific tools we can employ that they can practice in between meetings that are going to help them make the changes they want to make or have the goals uh, achieve the goals they they want to achieve so it, we're it's not to say that we're not still therapists doing cognitive behavior therapy and, and we it's not, we don't talk it's not that we avoid talking about you know, formative experiences, trauma, childhood, family, um, or that we can't just sit back and really be explorative. But in general, we, we it's not just what we talk about in session. We want to give people things to be working on in between meetings. So CBTI, Cognitive Behavior Therapy for Insomnia, uh, like I said, you know, we want to address, I, I sort of break it down a little bit from there, you know, sometimes sleep hygiene, Um, habits around sleep, the sleep environment, their room, temperature, noise, their routines leading up to going to sleep. Those are things to talk about caffeine intake, alcohol intake, exercise. However, I often find that by the time people have sought out cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia or or reached us, they sort of have the sleep hygiene stuff down. Uh, I I often find that's, that stuff is sort of the most intuitive and that's readily available all over the place on, on the internet but but i think where the harder work comes in is kind of what what i what i started alluding to earlier is helping people understand the amount of time spent in bed and what we call stimulus control which is basically again the association with the bed with the bedroom because at that point they may have built up a lot of arousal a lot of anxiety and frustration and we sort of want to break that cycle um and then you know a, a lot of it is the cognitive piece dealing with the thoughts helping them talk through and understand sort of the flaws in their catastrophic thinking about like oh my gosh i'm going to crash my car i'm going to get cancer or stroke and like was any of that ever happened um no it happened but i'm just worried about it and what happens if we just worry about it um it doesn't help um and then and then what we call the sleep restriction as i mentioned earlier which is temporary Um, and, you know, we want to have people commit to a very fixed and determined wake up time. So that's the anchor that doesn't change. But as far as when they get in bed, that we may alter that. We may, again, like I said, restrict where we're getting in bed later than you'd like. Um, and you're going to be sleepy. You're going to be very tired by then if it's, if it's pretty late, but that's the whole point is you're already (laughs) where if someone's already struggling with sleep and fatigued, why not condense that? on the front end. And so that like a rubber band we're sort of consolidating their sleep drive. And then if they get into bed later on, you know, the idea is that that built up sleep drive is going to override the stress and anxiety built up. And then even if they only sleep five hours that night or four hours that night, at least if it's a, if it's in a set block, you know continuous rather than interrupted and choppy, they're gonna feel better about that, and then, if that's consistent over time, then we add we we sort of move up the time that they get in bed incrementally, hopefully so that it's so from four hours now four and a half to five et cetera and and expand back out from there yeah, so so that's sort of the the meat of cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia as I would give an intro to it,
1: yeah, yeah. thank you for yeah. that mm-hmm. so then. How does like napping, like, does is, is
0: mm, the, yeah,
1: how does that factor in to it?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because I don't know about you, but, you know, myself, a lot of people, it's like, you know, sometimes a quick power nap is gold, right? It's better than any afternoon cup of coffee or whatever, right? And, um, you know, for someone that's not dealing with insomnia, I would say, great, go for it. You need a nap, take a nap, that's fine. Um, but it's a great question because for people with insomnia, um, what that nap can do, even if it's like, Oh, I'm just so right. Hitting that wall in the middle of the day because I'm inadequately slept. Right. Um, is, is that feels so tempting and just like your body is, you know, grasping uh, desperately for what it needs and it makes sense. But the challenge is at least when we're trying to address it through sleep restriction is it's almost like it removes the tension on that band aid. We want the sleep, the sleep drive to build up with the, the hormones that drive, you know, drive us to want sleep to the point later on at night where it's just, it's, you know, we it's it, where we're getting our sleep when, when we really want to get it. And if you take a nap, it sort of reduces that pressure and can be counterproductive. It, it might, it might be a little bit of like a short-term fix, mm. but you know, if you take, you know, this if someone dealing with insomnia might end up sleeping for two and a half hours in the middle of the day if they, if they can. And then of course, it's going to be harder to initiate sleep later that night at 11 or 12. Right. So it's, yeah. it's it, again, for someone not dealing with insomnia, not a problem. Um, but for, for a person with dealing with insomnia, it's just a very situation, a different situation where it can really be counterproductive. Yeah. So. Yeah. So
1: do you find that they're They're usually just like kind of like if that's the case and they're super tired, stay in the afternoon, they're just like fighting the urge to sleep or how do they like, are there certain tips then to like stay awake during the day, <laughs> not now?
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, sometimes we got to be creative with different people. Um, you know, I've had people sort of say, you know what, um, w- you know, afternoon hours when you're sort of hitting that lull, that's the time to not be home or idle or isolated, right? Is schedule something that involves other people. I'm interacting with other people. So I can't literally cannot. Um, or uh, I, I exercise. That's when I go out for a walk or go for a jog. So it kind of, you know, theoretically buoys me over that hump. Um, and you want to be exercising anyway. That's a good stress release um, and 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 a good way to manage anxiety and depression. So we want to be doing that anyway. So maybe that's the best time to do that.
1: Yeah.
0: If feasible in someone's you know, work day and work schedule, what have you.
1: Yeah. Got it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Is there anything I didn't bring up that you wanted to let the listeners know about?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting you we mentioned depression and insomnia earlier. Right. And um, you know, there was a period where the conventional thinking was that insomnia is sort of a, a side symptom or side effect for, uh, of people dealing with depression And and I think that certainly can be the case in a lot of situations, but as a result, the thinking there was sometimes from a medical perspective is, oh, if we can treat people's depression with antidepressants or whatever it is, then their insomnia is going to improve from there. And and again, that that, that can be the case for a lot of people, and that's great. But what studies and clinical experiences have found over time is that sometimes it, it goes the other way where is if we it can address someone's insomnia through CPTI or what have you, and they feel not only are they getting you know more consistent or more quality rest, but they have more of a sense of agency over it, right? That that feels empowering. They have a sense of control over that again. And that goes the other way and helps with their mood yeah. and is, is a good antidote to their depression. Yeah. And, and so that sort of intuitively makes sense too. So you know, they can kind of cycle back into one another, um, but just to kind of help people think about that, that the, it may not be a always just a one-way linear relationship between their mood and their sleep. Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah, no, that's yeah. good to know. That's really, really good to know.
0: It occurs to me, too. I mean, a, another thing that you you asked before we, we were recording was just kind of, uh, you know, medications, mm-hmm. um, because you know for a lot of people i think the the default and the most prevalent way of thinking about addressing sleep issues is through taking medications you know there's billions of dollars industry going into advertising for pharmaceutical companies and ambien and all these drugs for for sleep and uh you know that's just just the way the world works um uh, and again if that helps someone great that's i'm not going to argue with that um uh, but you know i think there are people who have you know, i'd rather if I can address things a sleep issue or any issue without taking a medication and putting something else in my body or you know there may be secondary side effects from that, most people would rather do that. And so that's why I think it's it's great that we're able to talk about uh, CBTI, Cbt for insomnia as a as an alternative and And the research is very strong behind it that it's it's a frontline treatment for insomnia uh, you know you know before trying medications if at all possible. We often also find folks who, you know, they've been taking medication for insomnia long term, you know, for years, just because someone prescribed it to them a primary care doctor, a psychiatrist, and sometimes they're like, I want to get off it. I'm not even sure it's helping anymore because I'm still dealing with, you know, insomnia or other people will say, you know, my medication was working for years and then it just I don't know what happened. it just it's not working anymore. And then they really get scared. And then they look for alternatives, and then and then they'll find oh, what is a CBTI has a lot of research behind it. So, mm. just uh, again speaking to kind of what we're talking about behaviorally and and in terms of in, in a in a therapy counseling role uh, yeah. as as a safer, dare I say, alternative to mm. to t- taking medication. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And how does like if they've been say they've been taking you know sleep aid or sleep medication. And then like they start CBTI, like how does that kind of factor in with the treatment?
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And and I think it's, it's, I mean, it's it, in an ideal world, it's important to kind of collaborate with a prescribing mm-hmm. physician to kind of monitor a primary care doctor or a psychiatrist, if at all possible, uh, you know, just so they can sort of monitor if, if someone, maybe they're taking a certain dosage and have been doing that for a long time, if they're going to start to try to titrate down slowly, stepwise, uh, that's sort of out of out of the purview of of what we're trained to do, um, but but I think a prescribing physician ideally should be involved with that, um, and and so sometimes we can start doing what we're doing in conjunction with that process, um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes what I tell folks is, uh, you know, if if they're taking a medication that is not uh, specifically for sleep. Let's say, but maybe it's related to something like anxiety or depression, an antidepressant or Lexapro. Uh, It's a kind of medication that's taken, you know, daily. Uh, It has a longer half-life. You know, you take a steady dosage every day. You know, CBTI can be done in conjunction with that sort of course of medication, Uh, even if they don't plan on getting off those medications. Uh, Where we want to, where it gets a little bit tricky is if, if it's the kind of thing that they sort of take here and there prn as needed oh i take a xanax or i take a take an ambient only because tomorrow i have a have to wake up early or because oh well i thought i'd fall asleep at 10 but then at 11 30 and i really want to get to sleep then i take an ambient or whatever so that gets a little bit tricky because if we're trying to do you know things behaviorally uh, and externally if you will to address insomnia and then they're also sort of kind of mixing and matching dosages different meds different days sometimes off on it, it it just gets a little bit tricky to determine if someone is having success or if if they're struggling what is that related to is it related to what what we're doing or is it related to to the medication and what do we attribute it to so it just gets a little bit messy and so we try to try to try to keep that cleaner
1: yeah uh, for sure so, yeah yeah and it sounds like probably each case a little unique, probably in some ways, right. How that's, how that's happening, but yeah, definitely collaborating and also, you know, with the client too, it sounds like to kind of be curious, explore, see what, (laughs) see what it is. It sounds like. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking like for you, I mean, you, you, you work with a lot of people say, you know, with with bipolar disorder on the bipolar spectrum. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a lot of what we do, but I mean, obviously that can impact sleep if someone's dealing with, manic episodes or, or their, you know, interactions with their medications. Mm-hmm. And so that's always kind of something to keep an eye out for as well. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: and doing all these little, little rule outs, cause you're right. Yeah. If it's like mania, hypomania, it's kind of speaking also of episodic, you know, mm-hmm. that's like kind of the nature. So is it that, or, you know, something else or something that is, you know, a little more chronic over time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. Or or it could be as simple as, you know, maybe something not related to that, but they're taking a medication for some other, you know, purely medical issue. But as a side effect, it has an activating component to it and affects their sleep. And then that can be really tricky as well.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you for doing this and explaining everything. This is super helpful and super informative pleasure. for everybody. Um if the listeners wanted to find out more about you or where you're at, is there anywhere they could go?
0: Right. Yeah. So our practice is the cognitive behavior therapy center of Southern California, as you said, uh, CBT SoCal for short. Um, so that's our website, uh, CBTSoCal.com, or uh, we, we do have some social media presences. We're not doing a lot with it right now, but people can find us on Instagram or Facebook if they like, but uh,
1: okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll um I'll put that in the show notes, the handle, and then the website. That way the listeners can just easily click on it. And um, like you know, like Martin said, in California, and then we're licensed by state usually. So as long as you're in the state of California, um, you can receive services at CBT SoCal. And right now, you know, given where we're at with this pandemic, is it um like in-person, like video services that's being provided, like both, or
0: yeah, we're we're doing sort of a hybrid. There's a lot of people who, you know. Being in Southern California, it's like, hey, you know, if I can access services without dealing with traffic and accounting for the that, hey, sign me up. Um, there are, and, and you know, probably, I don't know about you and a lot of others, probably seeing a lot of, there are people who are now sort of like, no, I do still prefer to, to meet with someone in person. And so we have some of that as well. But, um, yeah, yeah, but it's a mix and people can reach us multiple ways. So happy to be a resource.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. the video is definitely convenient here in orange county the traffic has been oh. really intense so mm-hmm. i've noticed just to like you said save time not be in traffic you know shorten yeah. the not have to commute too it's been uh, super helpful
0: absolutely so yeah.
1: well thank you yeah. so much for doing this
0: my pleasure thanks robin
1: thanks for listening Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guest are listed in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram at openmindnightpod. Also, This podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.